...size of the planes, how two planes could possibly have crashed in the same place at the same time. Their conversations withered in the heated confusion and terror spilling from the radio. After a while, one of the towers, the one farther south, appeared to exhale a terrific sigh of combustion products. They swirled away, and half the building, about fifty or sixty stories, bowed forward on a newly manufactured hinge and then the building fell in on itself in what seemed to be a single graceful motion, as if its solidity had been a mirage, as if the structure had been liquid all these years since it was built. Smoke and debris and all the possible shades of black, gray, and white billowed upward, flooding out around the neighboring buildings. You had to make an effort to keep before you the thought that thousands of people were losing their lives at precisely this moment. Many of the roofs in the neighborhood were occupied mostly by office workers. They had their hands to their faces, either at their mouths or at their temples, but none covered their eyes. They were unable to turn away. Joyce heard gasps and groans and appeals to God's absent mercy. A woman beside her sobbed without restraint. But Joyce felt something erupt inside her, something warm, very much like Yes, it was a pang of pleasure so intense it was nearly like the appeasement of hunger. It was a giddiness, an elation. The deep-bellied roar of the tower's collapse finally reached her and went on for minutes, it seemed, followed by an unnaturally warm gust that pushed back her hair and ruffled her blouse. The building turned into a rising mushroom-shaped column of smoke, dust, and perished life and she felt a great gladness. Joyce! Oh, my God! cried a colleague. I just remembered. Doesn't your husband work there? She nodded slowly. His office was on the 86th floor of the South Tower, which had just been removed whole from the face of the earth. She covered the lower part of her face to hide her fierce, protracted struggle against the emergence of a smile. They had been instructed to communicate with each other only through their lawyers, an injunction impossible to obey since Joyce and Marshall still shared a two-bedroom apartment with their two small children and a yapping, emotionally needy, razor-nailed Springer Spaniel Marshall had recently brought home without consulting anyone, not even his lawyer. The children had been delighted. In the years since they had begun divorcing, the couple had developed a conversation-independent system for their day-to-day lives, mostly centered on who would deposit the kids at daycare, usually Joyce, and who would collect them, usually Marshall, and also who would make their lunches, talk to the caregivers about which particular problems, buy the groceries, do the laundry, make dinner for the kids, be with the kids on which weekend, and so on. Whenever something disrupted this system, and something would disrupt it several times a day, either a borderline fever, or an evening business appointment, or some toilet training backsliding, or the inexplicable consumption of a completely full half-gallon of milk purchased the day before, Joyce and Marshall were forced to speak to each other, and even the most trivial discussion was likely to escalate into a blistering argument encompassing all the issues that had brought them to the divorce in the first place. It was in a previous decade, another century, that this had started out civilly, as an agreement reached almost affectionately that their marriage was not as warm as it had been. 
In the six months of therapy in which they were encouraged to break down the barriers that prevented them from speaking frankly, Joyce and Marshall discovered that they hated each other. Issues that had never before come up. Money, sex, children, vacation destinations, Joyce's weight gain, and wildly differing estimates of Marshall's contribution to the child-rearing enterprise now misted the air blue within the counselor's office which had already been made stale by the arguments from the previous couple's appointment. The counselor finally urged them to make the break non-adversarial and referred them to divorce arbitration. Now all the arguments fell away or were subsumed by a single point of disagreement. Money. Marshall's salary was substantially larger than the salary earned by Joyce, who had twice changed careers and had twice interrupted them to give birth. She demanded the apartment and that he should continue paying half the mortgage and child support as well as